stand with me out of respect for the word of God, Matthew chapter 16, and we'll start reading in verse 13, but our focus will be verses 24 through 27. Matthew 16, verse 13, and this is God's holy word. Let us hear it together. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And we'll read that last verse. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Please remain standing while we pray. O Father in heaven, great King of heaven and earth, O Lord Jesus Christ, you who have been exalted to the right hand of the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords over this world, we stand before you today. And O Lord, we worship you, we praise you, we adore you feebly, Weekly, as sinful creatures, but as your redeemed creatures, 
as those who have been called into fellowship with yourself. Here we are. Oh, Lord, speak to us. Oh, Lord, we do want, we will come after you. We want to come after you, O Lord Jesus. We want to be your disciples. Teach us what that means. Oh, Lord, it doesn't look pretty. Have mercy upon us and help us. Oh, Father, I do pray that you would strengthen every one of us here today, those who are weak spiritually but who know you. Oh, Lord, strengthen them and revive them. Oh, Lord, those who have their eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen that gaze, we pray. Oh, Lord, those who do not know you, oh, Lord, make it very clear in their minds that the Son of Man will come with the glory of his Father and the holy angels. And all the world will stand before him. And that day makes a difference for every day. Have mercy upon us now, we pray, and help us for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much for standing. The message this morning is entitled, Are You Carrying Your Cross? Are you carrying your cross? Do you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ this morning? Are you carrying your cross? The Lord Jesus Christ said that anyone who wants to come after him must carry their cross. If you don't carry it, you will perish forever. If you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus, you will save your life. It's as simple as that. It's as hard as that, too. In our passage here in Matthew 16, Peter has just been a mouthpiece for God's wonderful revelation about Jesus Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And our Lord Jesus responded enthusiastically to Peter's confession. Blessed art thou, Simon, bar Jonah, son of Jonah, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And with this revelation, Peter would be a foundation builder for Christ's kingdom. He would be a key holder in the kingdom of heaven. But right here, right at this high point of revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, the Lord Jesus makes an astonishing announcement to his disciples in verse 21. It says, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now, from what I could see, this is the first time in Matthew that the Lord Jesus has been so explicit about his coming death and suffering. Their Lord Jesus, the, the Lord of these disciples, was on the road to Jerusalem to go and embrace suffering at the hands of the Jews. He was going to be killed, going to be raised again also on the third day. And this announcement of Christ's death was foundational, just like the revelation that God had given to Peter about Christ being the Christ, the Son of the living God. The disciples, when they heard this announcement, they should have recognized the Old Testament promises about Christ's suffering and the glory to follow. And they should have been overjoyed, amazed 
They should have worshipped Christ to hear that he was about to fulfill all of these amazing promises and that he was going to enter into glory. That little phrase, and to be raised the third day, should have caught their attention and they should have said, Lord, we don't really like the cross, the, the suffering, the, the, the death you're talking about, the suffering at the hands of the elders, but tell us, tell us more. We want to hear more. Tell us more about this rising again the third day. What's after that? This promise of being raised again was glory. The son of David would soon sit on his throne forever. He would rule and destroy God's enemies. Glory would follow shame. Power would follow weakness. The kingdom would follow suffering. The crown would follow the cross. But Peter had a hard time with this announcement. And probably the rest of the disciples did as well. Oh, Peter. With that orthodox confession on his mouth, Peter clung to this false notion in his heart that the kingdom of God could be won without violence to the flesh, that Messiah's crown could be gotten without conflict with the world, that the eternal glory of Christ could be attained while Satan's kingdom remains intact. Peter was unschooled in the great principle of Christ's glory. Through death, the Son of God would destroy him that had the power of death, Amen. even the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage, as we see in Hebrews chapter 2. Peter didn't understand that, and he didn't appreciate it. So Peter, our friend Peter, took Jesus and began to rebuke him he was no fan for the suffering, the pain, the loss, the hardship, and the cross of the kingdom of heaven. He was all for Christ when Christ was mighty, when Christ was wealthy, when Christ was glorious and great. But he was not so pleased when Christ would stoop to be betrayed, to be beaten, to be mocked, to be spit upon, to be stripped, to be hung to die between heaven and earth. Peter would have nothing to do with him then. His sinful flesh recoiled just thinking about it. And Peter is here urging Jesus to save himself because Peter wants to save himself. Peter has a great self-saving impulse. And my friends, this morning, every one of us in here has a great self-saving impulse. We're born with it. It's probably in its original form untainted by sin, it was probably a great thing to be those who would be careful to save our lives and not be hurt by something around us. But with sin, it turns into a selfishness that drives us to push everything aside so that we can have our pleasures and our way. This self-saving impulse. Peter opposed Christ's words. He lashed out. He tried to change Christ's holy mind. He tried to alter his holy decision. Verse 22 be it far from thee, Lord. This suffering, this death that you're talking about in Jerusalem, this journey you're on here, no, we won't have it. Don't do it, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. But the Lord Jesus rebuked Peter's rebuke. Peter's opposition was a threat to God's great kingdom purpose. Peter was in Jesus' way. Peter was in Jesus' way as Jesus was going to do God's will. 
And so that's why the Lord Jesus gave this powerful rebuke to Peter of get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense or stumbling block unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. My friends, how do you respond when you find out that the kingdom of God's glory will cost you everything? How do you respond when you see that there is a cross before the crown? How do I respond? Am I prepared to go to the cross for the kingdom? Are you prepared to go to the cross for the kingdom? The quest of attaining Christ's kingdom of glory is a threat to a happy and successful life in this world. Our precious Lord Jesus instructed Peter and us to welcome this threat, to pick up our cross and to follow him. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who now, having suffered, died and rose again and ascended up into glory, he now reigns in glory, and who spoke those words to Peter, may he speak them again to our hearts this morning by his Spirit. Amen. Let's read again verses 24 to 26. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, then, that is right then after this interchange with Peter, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. In the first part of my message here this morning, I would like to explore a question. Are you following Jesus? Look back at verse 21, where he says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and be raised again the third day. The Lord Jesus Christ is on a mission, on a journey. He's going somewhere. He's going to Jerusalem specifically to suffer. He's going to win the kingdom, the empire of heaven. He's going through suffering, death, and resurrection to glory. He describes his disciples, those who are behind him, as those who will. In verse 24, he says, if any man will come after me. He describes them as those who will want or purpose, desire to come after him on this journey. Does that describe you? This morning, Are you among those who have gathered around Christ's word here at Mount Zion Bible Church because you want to come after Jesus? You want to follow along behind the Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, uh, he's a great and glorious king. It's great to be in his army. Come, come along, come follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This king, this shepherd, he gives his life for the sheep. He saves them with a glorious salvation, washes their sins away, and gives them a great living in him. But there in verse 24, he makes an absolute condition for following him. He only wants a particular kind of follower. If any man 
and man is in italics. It's literal. If anyone, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You cannot, may not, and will not come after Jesus if you do not deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. In our day, there are plenty of disciples, so-called disciples, who want Jesus to come after them instead of them going after him. They think, to make my life perfect, what I want it to be, the ideal life that I have in my mind, I need a Jesus to go along with me. I need him to be my buddy, a co-pilot, so that he can get me through the storms of life. I need someone to clean up my messes. I need someone to fix the disaster of my life. These disciples are at the front, doing their thing, and Jesus is just there to help them perform services at their bidding. But King Jesus will have none of that, my friends. The Lord Jesus is not following anyone. Christ is on his own mission. You either get in line or you miss out. But notice what Peter does. He's in the wrong position in relation to Jesus. Peter is supposed to be a follower, a disciple, but he's not following. He's trying to take the lead. He steps in front of Jesus and he corrects him. He says, no, don't go on your mission. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. It's very interesting, the structure of get thee behind me, Satan. And if anyone, if anyone will come behind me, those are the similar phrases except for the verb. One is get and the other is come. The Lord is telling Satan speaking through Peter or Peter as representing Satan to get behind him and not be in his way on the mission. Peter had the order reversed. Don't get out front and try to lead Jesus on your mission. Our king might be meek and lowly in heart, but he's a roaring lion when it comes to doing his father's will. And he will not let anyone get in his way. Your life included. Are you following behind Jesus? Are you headed where Jesus is going? Or have you got your own mission? Secondly, please think with me. What did Jesus mean when he says there in verse 24 in the middle? Take up his cross. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does the Lord Jesus mean about the cross here? This morning we won't spend all of our time looking at all the phrases and clauses here. It would be very edifying to do so, but I'll focus more on this idea of the cross. There's a common misuse of the term cross. You'll hear people say, this sickness has been a rough cross to carry. Or the issues I've been having with my spouse have been a hard cross to bear. They're using the word cross in the sense of a difficulty or hardship in general. Something that's difficult to get along with. Sometimes we think of a cross as a heavy thing or something just hard to handle. And certainly, Roman crosses were heavy instruments of death. And they were hard to carry. But the primary point of carrying your cross is not how hard it is to carry. But it means being prepared and resigned to go to your own execution. What did carrying your cross or taking up your cross mean in the Roman world? 
Jesus is speaking these words in, of course, his own day in the Roman Empire, and this was long before the day of cross pendants and cross necklaces and little white crosses you stick in the ground in front of your house as a kind of very, very, very modest kind of evangelism. Crosses were not a decoration. The Roman cross was a disaster, a terror, a public scandal, horror. People hung on crosses naked, and their blood flowed down, and they writhed in agony while the soldiers guarded them to keep the common people from relieving them of their suffering so that all could see the wrath of the empire upon these horrible criminals. The Roman Empire didn't care a bit for human dignity in comparison with their drive for the glory of the empire. For the empire's sake, they would crush their subjugated populations by nailing rebellious criminals to wooden poles standing upright in the ground. Sometimes they would attach a crossbeam, and that's probably where we get the term cross in English because of the crossbeam that was sometimes attached. When the Romans would capture a rebel or criminal, they would whip him mercilessly until the blood would stream down his back. And then he would be driven to execution carrying that cross beam out to the place where he would be hung upon the cross for the good of the empire. After, his dreadful, after that dreadful exertion of carrying the cross, the criminal would be tied or nailed, hands and feet, to the cross and hung up naked to die. You didn't mess with Rome. Crucifixion was bloody. It was awful. It was dehumanizing. And what did the Lord Jesus, our, our pure and holy and precious Lord Jesus Christ, why is he taking this awful picture and giving it to us? What did a cross mean to him? Remember, this is before his cross, but he knows about his cross to come. He is carrying his cross, as we'll see. There were two aspects to the cross in Christ's life. There was his bearing of it before he hung upon it, and then there was his hanging upon the cross himself. He took up his cross throughout his life by preparing to die for his people's good and for God's glory. He prepared to die freely, voluntarily, not for an earthly empire, but for the kingdom of heaven, of which he would be crowned the king of kings and lord of lords. He despised earthly pleasure and profit and comfort in order to embrace the kingdom to come. And the cross stood between him and that glory. And he knew it. Throughout his life, he was preparing himself to die because of his love for his people. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, The Son of Man, the Lord Jesus is speaking, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve, to enslave himself to, and to give his life a ransom for many. He was intent, even during his ministry, throughout his ministry, he wasn't just trying to be a good guy. He wasn't just trying to be nice. He wasn't just trying to do good works. He was preparing to die. He was preparing for his own execution. Why? For the love of you and me. He was intent on paying the price to populate his kingdom with purified, ransomed, redeemed citizens that he loved. If you're his today, he willingly prepared and planned throughout his life, all of his life, to pay the price for your sin and for your righteousness on that cross. But he, not, he didn't only do it for his people, he did it for the glory of his father. 
John chapter 10, there's many passages and you can probably think of more, but John chapter 10 is an example. Chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, the Lord Jesus, our precious Savior, he said, therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life. Now this is well before he goes to the cross, but he's speaking of what will happen in his mind shortly. He's carrying his cross. He's ready to go to that cross And so even though it's some time before he says, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Death, resurrection. No man taketh it from me. The Roman soldiers didn't take his life. The Jews didn't take his life. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. He died upon that cross later because he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, all of his life. And he prepared, he aimed, he focused on dying for his father, dying for his people. All his heart, his soul, his mind, his strength. He loved his sheep enough to give himself as a ransom for sin-defiled, sin-enslaved people that he loved. But not only did our Savior prepare for the cross willingly, but he embraced and endured the cross itself when it came. After our precious Savior was accused of blasphemy by the Jewish court, the Jewish officers spit upon him, struck him with their fists, and slapped him hard with the palms of their hands while they mocked and derided him. The Jews bound our Savior's hands and led him away to the Roman governor. They accused him of being a threat to the peace of Palestine and the unity of the Roman Empire. Pilate finally agreed reluctantly and delivered him over to be crucified. And our meek and holy Savior freely chose not to resist, not to fight back, not to defend himself. Pilate's soldiers brutally scourged our Savior, the Lord of glory, with whips, bloodying and mutilating his back. They mocked and derided him by dressing him in a phony outfit, crowning him with thorns and giving him mock praise. They spat upon our Savior, struck him with a reed and smote him on the head, and then they led him away to be crucified. John recounts, And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull where they crucified him. The other Gospels say that at some point the soldiers conscripted a man named Simon to relieve our Lord Jesus of his burden and to carry his cross for him. But it was still that he was carrying it. Those soldiers were not going to carry that piece of wood. Christ carried it or someone who would help him in extremity. At Golgotha, his clothes were stripped from him. His hands were nailed to that cross beam and his feet were nailed to the post of the cross. And over his head, his crime was recorded for all to see in the three major languages of that time. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. What agony of pain and suffering racked his holy body. Unlike our bodies, his body had never been the instrument of sin. That's why we die, because our bodies deserve to die. Our whole self deserves eternal punishment from God. But his body had always been 
the instrument of the Father's will, pure and holy works of righteousness. But he willingly took death upon himself. And not any death, but the death of the cross. And with the cross, the wrath of the Father upon himself. That's the cross that you and I will never carry if we are in Christ. We will never carry the wrath of God. Christ carried it. Amen. He carried the weight of sin for you and for me if we are his today. We should praise his name. We should honor him and glorify him. He's worthy of all praise, and we will praise him to all eternity. We praise him with weak voices now, but we will praise him with supernatural strength in the day of the Lord when he comes to take us to himself. He will finish the work that he started. Jesus Christ, our Savior, willingly went to this dreadful death. But remember, this was not the first time that the Lord Jesus had heaved a cross onto his shoulders. In his mind and in his heart, he had carried that cross all of his life. He had carried that cross for years in his heart. In Luke 12, he had said, this was some time before his death, he had said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened until it be accomplished? I, he's speaking to his disciples and I believe others as well, I have a date with the cross, a date with the wrath of God, a date where I will be made sin for my people. And our Christ, the conqueror, is looking forward boldly to his day of battle, his day of victory. And he says, how my soul is pressed. I'm preoccupied, I'm troubled, and I'm excited at once to come forth and fight that battle to the death. He wasn't shrinking back from it. He was saying, I am pressed forward to go to it. I want to get it over with. I want to get it done. This is the greatest work of any man of any age in this world. Samson could carry great weight. He could take up the, the gate of a Philistine city and carry it away bars and all up to the top of a hill and leave it there for their, for their humor in the morning. But our Lord Jesus Christ carried the greatest burden all of his life, the cross that he was going to carry on his shoulder one day was on his heart all of his life. But he faced it with holy boldness and courage. Every holy word that he spoke was a taking up of his cross. He knew when he spoke to the Pharisees that their anger would result in his death. Every holy deed he did was a taking up of his cross. When he healed a man on the Sabbath day, he was directly putting himself in conflict with the leaders of the Jews. But his eye was always on that one goal, completing his father's work and loving his people. And for that, he was carrying his cross. He lived like a man on his way to die. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, when you've crucified me as I know you will, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him, though they lead to the cross. Directly to the cross. 
So taking up his cross for Christ our Savior, friends, meant his living for the Father's will and for the love of his people, with no regard for his own life and comfort. It meant preparing to die so that God would be glorified and his people saved. But what does taking up the cross mean for us? Because the Lord Jesus here in 1624 says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I believe that we can draw directly from Christ's experience and see what it means. I believe it means preparing to die for God's glory and for the good of others. We might be tempted to say taking up your cross means being willing to die or ready to die, but I chose the words preparing to die because that's what taking up a cross is. Being ready to die or willing to die is too remote, too hypothetical for the picture that Christ has for us here. Taking up a cross is not something you do when you're ready to die. It's something you do when you're going to die. It's something you do when you're on your way to be hung upon it. You and your idols will have to die if you will follow Christ. How can we possibly prepare for such an act? Or how can we do this act? What moral power will fuel such a radical activity as preparing to die for Christ? Counting all of our, all of our values and pleasures and joys and the things that we consider a plus in our lives, counting them nothing. What could cause us to do that? Well, we have an advantage that Peter in Matthew 16 did not have. We can look back at Christ's work on the cross. Peter could only look forward through some shadowy promises, well, some pretty direct promises that Christ was giving him, but faith, the lack of faith blinded his eyes. But we can look back at Christ. He died and rose again to get glory for all his people. Brethren, if you are in Christ, glory is yours. If you're in him, Glory is yours. Forgiveness of sins is yours. Justification is yours. His righteousness is yours. Holiness is yours. Sanctification, growing in holiness is yours. Serving him is yours. Now in your future, you have eternal glory. Remember, Jesus had promised suffering, death, resurrection, which implies glory to follow. In your future, you have eternal glory. Heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. What is a little death in between? What is a little, a little suffering? You have the favor of God. You have sonship through Christ. Through his death, you have eternal life. He died the greatest death and suffered the wrath of God so we could enjoy the favor of God forever. What is a little dying when life is on the other side? Take up your cross. But Christians do not take up their cross and die upon it the same way that Jesus Christ did. Our Lord Jesus Christ went to die to pay the ransom for many. We do not pay the ransom for any. Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We are his sheep, but our blood does not atone for any sins. Our Savior's cross was unique. As he hung upon that cross, the Father immersed him in his holy wrath for sin, your sin, my sin, our sin. Our cross is different. There will be suffering. There will be pain. There will be shame. Remember the nakedness. 
but there's not a drop of the wrath of God in our cross. We should praise the Lord Jesus for this. But the New Testament is full of passages that help us to understand what this should look like in a daily basis, what it should look like for us. There are many passages. I won't go into them all, but I'll remind you of a few. You can maybe note them down or remember one or two to look up later. Romans 6, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. And Paul goes through this whole, we might say, theology of Christians hanging on crosses. The idea that our flesh has died with Christ and we now are new people, new men and women, and we live in him. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, If one died for all, then all died. And those who live should not live henceforth any more for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Philippians 3, Paul says, I just want to be conformable to Christ's sufferings. I want to know his suffering and his resurrection. In other words, Paul saw the, the prospect of glory was only on the other side of experiencing suffering with Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, and Peter, actually the whole epistle of 1 Peter, it's amazing. Peter talks about suffering, and he talks about it in a way of embracing it and improving it and being sanctified in it and through it. It would make a great study. That's that same Peter, the Peter who said, No, Lord, don't go to suffer. Don't go to die. No cross for you. Lord Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, where you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be in front. Well, Peter got behind him. And as you go to 1 Peter, like for example, chapter 4, he says, arm yourselves with the same mind of suffering as Christ had, suffering in the flesh. In other words, now he's telling all of his readers, get behind Christ, deny yourself, Take up your cross and follow Christ. Christ has done so much for us in being crucified for us. Now it's the least we can do to get in line behind him and reckon ourselves dead and ready to die and preparing to die as well. Is your Christian life a life of cross-bearing? In other words, are you preparing to die for God's glory and the good of others? Why would we call it preparing to die. Well, as I mentioned already, our self and our pleasures and our values will die if we faithfully follow Christ. They will die. We must take up our cross because sooner or later, probably several times a week, we're going to have to hang on it in some sense or another. Finally, consider Christ's solemn reasons for taking up the cross. Chapter 16, Matthew 16, verses 25 through 27. The Lord Jesus Christ instructs his disciples to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And then he gives three solemn reasons, each of them introduced with the word for. Verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. This is the same as cross-bearing, but with new words assigned to it. The king of the kingdom is solemnly declaring, if you are intent on saving your sinful earthly life, don't sign up for following me. Instead, expect eternal loss. But if you are willing to lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Verse 26. For what is a man profited 
if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This world under sin's curse, under Satan's rule, under death's grip, is on its way out. It's a burning ship and it's sinking fast. If you insist on clinging hard to this doomed vessel, you will go down with it. Its security is false. Its time is short. You have to let go of the world if you will cling to Jesus. Verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. There's a day coming when our false perspectives will be corrected. Our Lord Jesus lived in the perspective of the day of judgment. He saw the suffering at Jerusalem. He saw the cross, the grave, and he saw the empty tomb. He saw his own glory at the end of that dark tunnel of suffering. And with the eye of perfect faith, he saw the dead, small and great, stand before his great throne in the distant future. He saw the kingdom in all its glory. He saw the redeemed ones, millions and millions of them. He saw them being rewarded for the works of grace that his merit had worked for them and would work in them. He saw them astonished that they should be awarded when they were unworthy. And he also saw the accursed ones who had valued earth and sin and life in this world above God and his kingdom and his glory. And he saw them cast out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity. And so that's why he said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Why, Jesus, why? Because the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he'll reward every man according to his works. Are you bearing your cross? Have you taken it up? And are you carrying it? Or are you trying to save your own life? If you want to save it, you will lose it. Is your life purpose to come after and to follow Christ? Are you determined that nothing will stand between you and him? Are you preparing to die for his sake? Praise his name. That's his work. He works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now, keep carrying your cross. Get out the budget of your life and strike out every asset and privilege that you think is yours. Consider it all rubbish. Count it all loss. Take up the cross, the instrument of your own execution. The glory Christ has purchased you for is on the other side of the cross. Paul, the Apostle Paul said, it is a faithful saying, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Are you a cross bearer, but there are times when the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit? When you fail, take your selfish flesh that wants to live, and oh, the flesh wants to live by all means at all costs. It, I don't know if you've ever killed an animal, but it's, it's a good experience. It's important. I don't take glory in it, but it's, it's, it helps us learn about life and death. But as you're killing, say, a, you know, something that you're going to eat, I won't name any animals for fear that someone might have one for a pet. But if you're starting to, to put that thing to death so that you can cook it up for lunch, 
it will writhe and squirm, and it will fight. That's what the flesh does. If we take up our cross, the flesh will be petering. It will be doing the Peter thing. It will stand in front of us and say, no, you're not going that way. And we must say, get behind me because I have Christ in front of me, and I'm going with Christ. So when you fail, and believe me, fail you will. Peter did, didn't he? Here he did, right here. When you fail, take your selfish flesh that wants to live. Take it to the Savior who died to pay the infinite price for all of our failures of cross-bearing. Because he did. Ask him to help you moment by moment to put your flesh to death. That's why Paul told the Colossians, he said, You are dead. Are dead. That's another way of taking up your cross is to say, oh, when Christ died, I died. Oh, then all my stuff doesn't matter because I'm already dead. I'm in him and I'm looking for glory. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. Therefore, mortify your members that are upon the earth. Paul is looking at believers. They are disciples of Christ. They're following Christ. But there's aspects in their life where they're not taking up the cross. And he says, do it. Kill them. Hang them on that cross. Are you not a cross-bearer at all? Some here are not cross-bearers. And I know that's true in any group of people. There are those who are not bearing their cross, religious or non-religious. Professing to carry a cross, maybe, and not carrying it. Are you holding on to your life? your pleasures, your plans, your visions, your dreams, your future, your sins, your self-righteousness. It's a delusion. Oh, my friend, the end of all things is at hand. Your soul will be required of you shortly. And then whose, whose shall those things be that you've laid up for yourself? (laughs) Run to the only one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who can give you a new heart a heart to deny yourself, a heart to take up that cross, a heart to follow him all your days. Run to him and get in line behind him. You have to follow him. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Oh, may our Savior grant repentance, forgiveness, and cross-bearing in all of us today for his name's sake. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't think I understand carrying a cross. Teach me. Oh, Lord, our flesh hates crosses, hates dying, loves this world and loves pleasure and loves itself. Deliver us. And cleanse us. And I pray, Father, that you would work mightily in us to be a cross-bearing community. O Lord, to help one another to carry our crosses. O Lord, to reprove one another for not doing so and to encourage one another in doing so. Be gracious to us. And Lord, I pray that we would see the glory on the other side, that we would not be unbelieving, that we would not be doubting your glorious promises that we would not think that a little earthly glory is worth more than heavenly glory. Temporal glory is worth more than eternal glory. Oh, I pray that our priorities would get realigned. Lord, 
recalibrate our minds and our hearts. For Christ's sake, oh, our Savior, we praise you and bless you that you have paid the price for sin and for sinners, that you are a great Savior, that you save the worst and the most religious. Have mercy upon us today, for Christ's sake. Amen.